0: Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you are listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast. It's the show where I try and cover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening to this episode and I hope you enjoy it. So I've got Stan Evans on the show this week. Stan is a snowboarding photographer who I've been aware of for years mainly because he's a total legend of the game but we'd never actually met even though we were aware of each other, like I say. I've been trying to get Stan on the show for years with little success. I mean, all good. Sometimes that's how it goes. Then our mutual friend Nathan Gallagher introduced us and we began chatting on Instagram, as you do. And then about January 23, Stan was like, all right, I'm up for it. Let's do it. We were going to do it over Zoom or Google Meets or Zencast or whatever you do these days. And then I kind of realized, oh, he lives in LA and I'm heading there in a few weeks. So we rain checked it. Until then, which is the operative word, because so it was on one of LA's rainiest days in a decade, I headed over to Stan's Inglewood gaff to record this conversation. And what an enriching, nourishing and fascinating chat this one is. For me, this is a noteworthy episode in a number of ways, um, because it's really about viewing these pursuits that embellish our lives. And I'm talking about surfing, skateboarding, snowboarding, climbing, the outdoors, or whatever you want to call it through the the lens of the biggest themes of all. If you've been with me for a while, you will know this type of thing is right up my boulevard. Uh, it's why I've called this episode Hidden Histories, for a start. Because through his work and his ongoing investigations, such as his podcast, Dan is really asking a simple, yet very important question. How, as a culture, do we choose the stories that we tell? Now, you might even think we don't choose them, but we do. Um, every story that you tell is a choice and in every area there's an accepted narrative or orthodoxy if you like I mean look at surfing look at riding giants for example look at that tale of how that strand of surfing developed I mean that is just the accepted story these days Um, it's the same in skateboarding it's the same in snowboarding it's the same in climbing I've just been at Patagonia, there's an accepted history there. Uh, I mean, over the course of my career, I've been extremely guilty of perpetuating that. And that is one reason, for example, why I go to such lengths on the podcast to explore different perspectives. Now, of course, if you're comfortable with this accepted version of history or this orthodoxy or whatever you want to call it, you might wonder what the problem is. You might even not think there is a problem. You might just be like, well, it's just the way things are and the way that they've always been right. And the problem with that, of course, is that some, and this is crucial, equally valid versions of the past get left behind. This is why, if you ask me, in recent years, across all areas of culture, not just our little world, this orthodoxy has begun to be challenged in many different ways. A couple of instant examples, like think of the alternative takes on British Empire history, for example. Or to take another example from our end of the spectrum, Take the idea that the outdoors might not be as appealing in its current form to black and brown people as it is to white people. So people refer these days to this type of, you know, musing or investigation or alternative thought as the culture wars. Um, Not a term I particularly like or approve of because I think it's just, I don't know, dumbs down an interesting debate into like something that just enrages people because the way I see it is what's really going on is that different groups are sticking their hands up and suggesting that the prevailing orthodoxy might not necessarily be the same for everybody and have we tried thinking about things in a different way would that be all right I mean personally it never ceases ceases to amaze me how threatened and indeed furious people get by having these orthodoxies challenged I mean Witness the reaction, for example, whenever anyone does make that point that I just made about access to the outdoors. I mean, for all I know, you probably listened to this and that's already enraged you. I mean, just last week, my friend Yvette Curtis, who's been on the podcast, highly recommend that episode if you've not listened to it, shared with me some screenshots from Facebook that she'd received. So Yvette has been putting together this piece of work, which is trying to look at um, diversity in surfing, basically. It's a really good thing that she's done, like, check it out and she i think she must have posted about it on facebook and some of these messages she's got from men seething with rage at the very idea that there's a problem and inevitably accusing her of playing the race card another absolutely dickish reductive phrase um i mean if anyone could explain to me why people get so angry and threatened by the thought of an alternative discourse i'd really love to hear it because i truly don't get it but like i say this challenging of the orthodoxy and this offering of a different version of the historical truth if you will it's happening more and more even in our world it's what girls don't surf is really about for example it's what the big seas about perfect example like you know if you believe the surf industry the the hist- the story of neoprene and wetsuits is not the story that gets told in the big sea i mean even today i've just seen this whole thing billabong the b corp um, trumpeting their eco credentials and then i went and had a quick look on their website and all the like half the wetsuits are made from neoprene so how does that work but there you go that's that's an example of what i'm talking about like the importance of offering different takes it's what the terrier brew haha which myself and stan do touch upon in this episode was also about and also why it caused such a such a storm And it's what this conversation with Stan Evans is about. Um, Sure, we do cover his life and career, but really we discuss this, I would say, crucial question. How do we choose the stories that we tell? Who is the history for? How does it impact us? And what does it all mean? Um, We don't particularly get close to answering that, but I think we both had a really great time um, exploring it. Stan is extremely um, intellectually attuned to this conversation so i found it really really i mean i I used the word nourishing earlier and it was brilliant i just you know it's just great to chat to somebody who is operating on with this conversation who's operating at the level stan is and which is why i enjoyed it which is why i enjoyed my afternoon with stan very much which is why i've just recorded a seven minute intro um i'm sure i've lost some of you but if not i'll be back at the end for housekeeping corner see you then enjoy
1: This is Stan Evans, Stan Evans Photography, talking to Matt Barr on the We Look Sideways podcast. Nice. Getting ready to happen. There we Probably go. We should close these blinds because we're going to get that echo, if you're hearing that at all. well, good. Okay. Yeah. You're here, then it's all good.
0: I'm not too worried about that. You're a pro, Stan. Look at that. I can tell you've got your own show and basically are uh, somebody who knows media. It's good. Yeah, I had a radio show in college for three years. Although, I might get you just to... Hold it. Hold it away from the silver. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, is just because the... sometimes it can get a bit creaky. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, so how mm-hmm. you doing? Great to... Well, we've never met, which is crazy. Because yes. we've worked in the same game for 30 years. Yeah, th- <laughs> I mean, 30, nearly 30 for me now. Which yeah, is no, great. I
1: mean, it's like, well, I was just saying, like, I was probably professional around then, but... Uh, yeah. I, like, started, I guess I'm trying to think when I, like, started shooting snowboarding, like, literally, 89.
0: Really? Right. Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. It
1: was like the avalanche kick back then. Like, like with Damian Sanders, like some a friend of mine had the, those kind of things. i like the hard, the, the hard, the out. hard boots. Yeah, the hard boots, straight yeah. up, like plate bindings.
0: The hard boots <laughs> and, and like what was his wife called? Brandy, Brandy Sanders. With yeah, the, she's nah, like, yeah, she's like, the, she's like the Playboy, <laughs> Playboy playmate.
1: Yeah, but it's funny because like it was like funny because like damien just did some recent thing and it was interesting how hyped he was on just like diversity in snowboard like I was literally looking at and he had really? something and I was like because like you know those are like the heroes back in the day like you know well, like, well
0: for us growing up like in in England um, and you know I lived in me and my friends lived in Manchester in England mm-hmm. like a long way from California mm-hmm. and you know we grew up skateboard although it does look like Manchester outside at the minute but like we you know we grew up skateboarding snowboarding and California was this like exotic place for us and, and, yeah. and Damien was like kind of the you know the uh, the example of that really like yeah, and, and and Palmer as well with the you know with the caddy and the cars and that and that
1: well if you really want to take it all the way back right and this is kind of where I came into it again it's kind of funny is um Greg Stump films right yeah so oh, I've had was, him on the show legend so, yeah, yeah so it was Glenn Plake yeah so it was like it was like one of those things where like you know he like started out kind of like like I started out in Alaska so that's where I just got into snowboarding and ski and photography and all that stuff is watching Warren Miller's because they would have the movies at the high schools and the yeah. theaters there. And so it was like Mike Hattrop, um, Glenn Plake, Scott, Scott, Schmidt. Scott Schmidt. Yeah. And so that, and then like, remember like the steep tech, like remember the thing with the pads? Yeah. yeah, you know yeah. That? Like I had that outfit in college. Right. Like so straight up. Alaska though. Yeah. So
0: is that, is that what you like? Tell me the story there then. So,
1: so I my mean, dad was in the military and he got stationed. We had got moved to Alaska like first time. Uh, seven years old. Right. And it was like funny because my parents were like from Texas and they didn't know what to expect. So like we show up off the plane in Alaska and we've got like two pairs of long underwear on. Yeah. And like bundled up all so stuff. my mom was like super over concerned. And we get off and it's like 70 degrees and thing. like we're just like me and my sister are sweating her asses off. <laughs> so that, was a bit like,
0: that was a bit like me when I came here last week and, yeah. in, in a t-shirt and yeah. it was like freezing everyone's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and so like
1: people are out like, because it's like, you know, in Alaska during the summertime, cause that's when we moved there, yeah. it's daylight all the time. So like people are out like playing frisbee, like walking with their dogs and we're just there like bundled up like looking like the kid from um a christmas story you know like the whole like ralphie's little brother yeah yeah, you know, like yeah. That. so like if you can imagine these two little black kids get on the plane like super bundled up and like then you get there and like people are just doing summertime stuff you're yeah. kind of like oh okay
0: so, <laughs> so you so, saw so you saw skiing and snowboarding then like for the first so what were you near what like is it Alaska? is the result Alaska? is it is that the resort well, there?
1: there's Alaska. yeah then there's arctic valley and there's up glow and so, I started there, but, like, here's the funny thing, and here's the kicker, right? My parents took us all once. Like, I think I was, like, eight years old, right? Right. My parents hated it. They are like, yeah, cool, none of that anymore. So, we stayed there till I was 10, and um, I really loved it, but, like, just one of those things, like, when you're that age, you can't drive to the hill. So, moved away. Moved to um, Kansas to, to Virginia, then moved back to alaska at 15 right and so it was funny because i had this premonition of living in virginia and dc of like that because i got this east coast kind of thing my parents wanted me to be like a doctor or a lawyer right because i was like i was a smart kid my sister was super smart she got a scholarship into school and like literally that's kind of where my journalism career started because my sister was super into journalism and so she was very a huge proponent of that in my career but we moved back to alaska Again, still thinking, ah, doctor, lawyer, this. So get into skiing. Meet a great photography teacher, Miss Jackson, like that, and she was like, "Stan, you can be a photographer." Like I was just like, "What are you talking about?" And she's like, "Go look at magazine racks. People shoot those photos." And I, like, I was pretty good because I was super into art. I was in AP art, as in AP history, right? All these different kind of classes. But with that and all our friends, you know, they'd do the Warren Miller tour each year, and we'd go and watch. And I was just like. And that was, like, the first time I'd ever seen, like, people ski like that. Like, when they, like, first featured, like, Scott Schmidt and, like, that. Like, if you even get back into it, like, Tom Youngst, who was, like, one of the guys in Montana, so I ended up going to school in Bozeman and Bridget Ball and met Tom there and then, like, Gordon Wiltsey and then um, interned with Bob Allen. So, if you, like, know who Bob is, like, I don't, actually.
0: Who's Bob? Bob
1: is an old school legend of mountain bike photography. Okay. And, like, he's, like, literally, like, one of the OGs we talked about. And, like, saw, went through Bridger Bowl. Like, he was in powder a lot. In right. Day, right? So, I interned for Bob. Right. <laughs> and, like, just <laughs> sorting the slides and things like that at school. And, like, I had like, all kinds of jobs in college. So, after we went to, after Alaska, like, that was literally where I just took my first photo, black and white film class. And, like. You know, my friend, this kid, Riley, who had, like, a bar foot, and he, like, jumped over me. And, like, I took the photo the the base, the classic bass shot. You yeah, know? Yeah, and that. yeah. And I was just like, wow, this is so much fun. Like, it was so cool. And so then I was like, okay, I want to go to school for photography. My parents were heartbroken. Well, not my my dad. My mom was kind of heartbroken because she just wanted me to go get, get a real job.
0: I had the same with mine. Yeah. yeah. But I, I got off for the job at a newspaper in, in uh-huh. England. Yeah. And, uh, and at the same time, I was like, it sounds like kind of similar thing, you know, to what you're t- I had a teacher mm. that encouraged me and like, mm. you know, it was super and basically chose snowboarding at the time. You know, my parents were like, wow, you know, you just turned on this amazing job to do this kind of thing. And the
1: thing that people don't really understand at that time is like s- skiing was pretty well established, but a little bit more crusty. But snowboarding was just getting established. Like yeah. it was like one of those things where like, there wasn't a definite path like people didn't know like about team managers or like project managers or just like uh advertising or marketing manager like none of that but it was just like there's just kind of like this offshoot of like you know it's like the k2 gyrator you know like, yeah i'm like oh dan donnelly ran this to a seal song you know yeah and like people don't yeah. remember that but like greg stump was like the first person to really put like dan donnelly and like um, yeah, he had,
0: had snowboarding in his in his yeah. films early. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so whe- like Wheel of Destruction. <laughs> yeah, but he was like riding
1: the gyrator. Like, you know, like that was yeah, the first thing yeah. you really saw that, right? Yeah. But Dan Donnelly was then, at the time, sponsored by North Face. So it was an interesting thing of parallels of just looking at these things passing and being like, okay, and then trying to make a career out of it. So then I went to school in Bozeman. It was one of the few places you could get a degree in photography. It was relatively inexpensive because they had um a a tuition break for people who came from western states so since i was actually alaska resident at the time you got a cheaper deal so did that and then yeah i started going to school for photography and like got a bunch of jobs and just like you know like i worked part-time i worked at an i worked in the ag econ office randomly enough right and that was one of the most interesting things about like Knowing how to judge people because there was this guy who was uh, who I worked for. He's one of the professors. His name was Steve Sherman, but he like he wore Wranglers and boots and kind of like talked with a drawl, but he was literally one of the most educated people I'd ever met. Right. Right. And because I worked for him, also he was like he was very accommodating and welcoming because me, I mean he was a six foot two guy with dreadlocks like down here and like walking through the ag econ office, people were kind of like, "What's going on?" Right. <laughs> but he kind of like he kind of was like. Stunted for me He kind of like protected You know Protected me in that place Right And people were like Because he had such an uh, A reputation in that area Yeah People really just Didn't really mess with me You know So it was like Cool But I was like Wow This guy's like This crazy farmer dude Who's just like You know Taking a thing to kind of Yeah Help me out So it was really cool Just like Not judging a book by its cover
0: So you right? had a few mentors That were important Early on by the sounds of it You had a few people That kind of oh, put, sure. put you on And it's funny isn't it Like it's so common how important that is you know like a chance person at that age that can come along and and either like you say act like that steve i think you said right mm-hmm. or, or or like your teacher that can kind of give you like self-belief you mm-hmm. know there's that there that, that might be a path for you
1: no i mean like crazy like real talk on that front right is um i worked at the gallatin gateway out in, in montana it was a fine dining restaurant it was after i graduated and someone was i'd still been getting photos published and was working on thing and i think i was writing for Snowboard at the time right but like not making enough money to like sustain myself you know yeah and um the general manager like he was super cool like it was just one of those things where like a lot of guys like drank and partied and did stuff like that and like i was always the guy like i'd have like maybe one drink or thing and then i'd go home and i was just like stacking my cash because i just wanted to do something more with my life right and he saw that and it was just one of those things like whenever a trip came up or things like that he'd let me go i'd be gone for like two weeks right right and he'd be like and i'd come back and he'd be like put me back on the schedule i'd be like hey i need two weeks because like i'd go like drive to whistler for like two weeks to go shoot and he'd be like Okay, so you can get back, Stan. And he was, like, super cool because he just knew that, like, that restaurant wasn't where I wanted to, like, yeah. stay. Like, you know, like, it's not the place though where I was, like, the level I wanted to go. He like, this guy has bigger dreams. And, like, he's seeing this and this is a way to sustain this. But let's help him get to the next step. And, like, I'm really thankful for that
0: job gave you the space yeah gave you the space to do it
1: we're like think about that if you're doing a part-time job right here and you're just like i'm gonna go on for two weeks yeah
0: like no one would be like yeah you need again you, like you say it's someone who's like understanding enough mm-hmm. to kind of to kind of let you do it but so you just so like on your career you know obviously you had and still have like a massively successful career in snowboarding you know like you and um, you would just show me your, your old school portfolio yeah you know like the And I had one for journalism, Mm -hmm. like the, you know, like the kind of A3 leather bound with your clippings, you know. So it sounds like, obviously you had this start where you had, you know, your interest peaked by films and you had these mentors and you had the geographical thing that, you know, enabled you to kind of experience these things. But getting in back then was kind of a sales job as well, right? Like, you know, you had to, you had to do the trade show things. You had to, you had to walk around like meeting people. So is that, is that kind of how it was for you early on when you were trying to establish well, those relationships well, there's
1: two things and this actually like kind of relates to the whole funny thing about like diversity now right because like back then i didn't really think much about that at the time and there's a whole thing where people like talk about like in current day now of like basically homogenizing your name so when you're going to a job application people like you know, like if you're like Lamont or Laquisha or thing like that—they automatically stack you lower as as a black person, right? If you're going for a job interview, right? And so, like at the time, like thinking about being Stanley Levi Evans II, I was just like, oh my god, this is like the lamest name ever, right? Right. But when you think about that and you send it out to photos and send it out to photo editors and you're calling and you're talking like you have a phone voice like this, right? People thought I was white, right? Like straight up, right? They didn't have no clue. Because we are getting these photos. This guy lives in Montana. Think of that. And so, a lot of the stuff, you know, you did have to send photos on. You had to send them all out. Think of that. And so, I started getting stuff run. But thats it's not like now where people can, like, look on the Instagram and scroll and see who you are and get a whole deep dive. And the internet wasn't, didn't exist. Well, like,
0: the personal brand thing wasn't a thing, was it? Yeah, no. So, it was just, like, it was literally on the
1: merit of your photos, which that was honestly, in a certain sense, yeah. was a bit of an equalizer because... I just had to shoot good photos. Right. And were,
0: were you aware of that at the time? Were you aware? Were you aware Didn't of-
1: really get it until, honestly, <laughs> I went to a trade show and I had been shooting stuff for a lot of stuff for... It happened two times. I went to Bonfire and I met with Randy Torkin, the team manager for ride. And I walked in and I'm like, hey, I'm Stan. And just like the look on his face when he all of a sudden realized that's the guy he's been talking to. I'm like, it wasn't a bad thing. Actually, Randy helped me a lot in my career thinking that. But a bonfire like I literally were just like they were tripping when I went into the place I'm like this big black guy shoots the snow what? You know like people couldn't grasp it. Like, yeah. you know, I think that and by that time I'd shot enough, I'd had enough work out and things like that that people were just kinda of like, Okay, well was good. So Yeah. You know, like the work,
0: work the work like, told the story.
1: Yeah, you know, it already been going out and about so there wasn't much, you know, like the 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 tide kind of like turned, you know, as far yeah. as that goes. But still, you could see like the whole like, oh shit, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it was like that um, moment in Lethal Weapon with Danny Glover, was he's like, but, but, but you're black. <laughs> 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 you know, like, like it was super funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> did
0: so? Did and you did you start to notice that as your career developed?
1: I mean here's the funny thing and here's like um watching these kids nowadays and also thinking about myself, right? Um I love snowboarding in winter and skiing so much that like I almost just like I just almost blanked it out to be completely honest, right? Like, you know, it's just one of those things where like I just wanted to be there and be in that space. Yeah. And for the most part, like to be completely frank, you know, like, they were, in the beginning, like, people, I think, just were, like, more surprised than, like, kind of, like, um, I guess, probably, I would say, like, kind of, like, uh, dismissive of it, you know, so, that, and, like, you know, like, I was, like, I was a pretty good skier, and then I switched to snowboarding, and I think, just, like, you know everyone's young and in college and having fun and you're doing things and travel so it didn't really come up as much except for like places where you would travel to different places and then people would be like you know like if you went to Idaho or you had to like watch out or like it was like the time when um, Wyoming like you know you know, like you just had to like there's different places where like for me as a black man I had to kind of watch my step
0: well they're the whitest places on the planet right yeah. I mean
1: so if you're going there on a ski trip like yeah. you're going to Idaho you know like you're kind of like i got to watch my step around here. Like, yeah. And that's the whole thing that was different maybe with the people that versus the people I was traveling with versus myself, yeah. right? And, like, I knew it. And a lot of times, like, even now, people, like, I was just talking to a kid and he was saying, like, he went to some trip either to wine country and then, like, even in remote Canada. And he, like, he got, like, vibed on That's It's, like, it's not just, like, a vibe on those things. It's, like, life or death. You know, and I don't think people really kind of understand it. And, like, when you, like, put that in context of, like, Ahmaud Arbery now. Like, you know, a like guy was running in the south yeah. and got chased down, run, and shot. So now imagine me in, like, coraline Idaho, stopping for gas to yeah. go drive to Seattle. Like, you're like, how quickly can I get out of this town? Yeah, Like, you're, like, literally, like, watching your step. Yeah. You know? And, like, so, you know, if you're not a recipient of feeling that, like, pressure yeah you're probably not noticing it
0: well i don't think white people do notice it and i yeah. think one of i think when the um you know we were talking earlier about the kind of 2020 black lives matter um shift if you like where but mm-hmm. where, where i mean i think i think one of the things for for people was like oh right black people have to deal with this you know like it was it was it was quite a that that was quite striking i mean i just published a posted a thing on my newsletter from neftali williams who i think mm-hmm. you know right about yeah, mm-hmm. about ty nichols have you read yeah, that piece mm-hmm. that you wrote for the summer? we were actually
1: talking because he's supposed to be one of the guests and on my social studies we were actually just trying to talk and he was just like he just he like it's it tears people up because i don't think people really realize every time we see some of that happen as a black man or a black woman or a person or a mother or a father or child we imagine that's what's happening to our kids or our son or our brother and like that. And like, I think that's the hard part. Sometimes when you're talking about these race relations, it's hard for white people to see because they've never seen a white person just get beat
0: down like that. Well, and you don't, so you don't grow up factoring it in, but the reason I bring that up is because in this piece about Ty Nichols, he Mm -hmm. uses the phrase the double consciousness. Like Mm -hmm. he says, like, you know, growing up as a black person in America, Requires a double consciousness is how he phrases it Mm -hmm. you know like that which white people don't need to engage with you know
1: no I think that's something that's something that like honestly like when you look at all this stuff especially with snowboarding and stuff and like all those consciousness came out of George Floyd right and like what the companies all did and I totally think is unfair is they went to go grab all these kids to kind of virtue signal to kind of show how like diverse their brand is right there and like these kids haven't had the breath of experience to actually speak on civil rights to actually talk about marketing to people or their culture right because they're kids they're like they're just stoked on snowboarding like yeah how many times can i spin around on my wooden stick right yeah and so like have they seen martin luther king's "The tale of two americas the speech have they read malcolm x like do they know about like Sandra Blonde, you know, like like looking at this stuff, and so when you actually try and put that as this person as a marketing piece for your diversity initiative, I'm like, the kids don't have that wealth experience. It's unfair pressure to put on, like, you know, like two kids, like a Zed Powell or like, um, you know, like some of the people climbing and things like that. It's like all of a sudden they've got to speak for this whole heritage of blackness they're just still discovering themselves yeah
0: right well and also the point you made to me previously is also which is, seems a key point for the benefit of explaining as well you know so that for, for, for other people who haven't necessarily equally done, done that work or aren't across the the debate you know because as we were saying earlier and this always gets me like whenever something comes up in in snowboarding surfing skateboarding or whatever it is you know whenever there's like this the, the cultures merge. Mm-hmm. So like there's, it might be Ty Nichols or it might be George mm-hmm. Floyd or whatever. And suddenly like our culture, has, or at the minute, there's like this trans debate going on in surfing because mm-hmm. of Beth, Bethany Hamilton, mm-hmm. you know, so there's suddenly the cult, like our culture in surf, skate, snow, board sports, whatever, suddenly has to engage with this like very complex, far reaching social issue, which has a huge history, has a huge weight of debate behind it and which no one's aware of so just kind of like weigh in and like you know and and and, and start and i'm always a bit like wow we're pretty fucking dumb basically you know
1: well here's an interesting thought and something i would take and and something that's something really interesting to me how many of these people at these brands going and figuring out how to go to this thing have even taken a dei course right and then this is something that I'll have to say. And I, I will say this for myself just because i speak of it. And we talked about how I was just stoked to be there and snowboarding and doing my thing and just like having a good time. I had to go through that, right? It was not until I had some of those effects happen to me as a young adult that I had to go back and study. And then like go talk to my parents and go do research and watch films like that. And that's taken a lifetime. Yeah. And I'm still learning at this point right now. But I'm more educated more than most people, right? Yeah. But I'm still learning, right? And even then, like, I just did a shoot for, you know, a large Francisco for the diversity shoot. And we were talking about, like, how we had different types of models of transgender. We had disabilities and things like that. And, like, for that shoot, I, like, went and really, like, studied up on each one of those subjects. Because I wanted to, like, know and understand perspectives. Because when I'm taking photos of that, I'm doing stuff that's representative of them, of their culture. It's not. It's not... Me taking a picture fulfilling my needs. It's mm. me taking a picture to show that
0: person to make them feel seen, and you're paying them the respect of having done that work. I mean, that's that, that's, that's also the the, that's also the point, right? And the whole thing about it is like it's like, what are you
1: doing the marketing for? You're doing the marketing to make people feel seen. Yeah. So if you don't understand even why people are feeling seen, then you're missing the whole pivotal step of why you're doing this. Well, because and, otherwise you're just like you're doing this to make yourself feel good about like oh i'm paying this penance to help these people that can't help themselves you think
0: well i don't even think often it's that it's that thoughtful i think often it's just like oh we should do something that's the thing now you know that's mm. like that's oh right okay suddenly everyone's going on about george floyd and there's black squares everywhere like oh we should do something you know like i don't even, i think it's literally that deep sometimes and the other thing that we were talking about was the the thing that happened after that was that obviously. All brands started, you know, more black faces started appearing in adverts, like mm-hmm. on teams, you know, you were explaining that suddenly your phone started ringing, you know, like suddenly people that you had, you know, not maybe had the best experiences with back in the day. I am like,
1: just being like, I was like 10 years out, semi-retired. Yeah. Like, it was like, I had to go dust my snowboard off. Right? Yeah. Like, so you it's know, like, like, oh, let's give Stan a call, you know. You know, because it's just like, they hadn't thought about it and then they're like, oh, who's actually knowledgeable about this stuff. But it's like funny at the time when they're doing this stuff. And it's an interesting thing of like, <sighs> how much snowboarding wanted to be associated by, by black culture, but didn't want to assimilate by culture and have it actually assimilated into. Right. And here's the funny thing. And like and this is something I was just like looking at um, the other day and I was talking to a friend of mine. So a bunch of people were kind of complaining about all-star weekend basketball, just NBA just happened in yeah. Utah, right? And they're like, oh my God, it's so stuff!" and they're spending so much money on this and I can't believe this and that, That, da da da, right? So when you look at that and the gross product, because of something I was looking up the other day, of the winter sports industry from 2020, because it was before the decline, $369 million for the year, the gross product. All Star Weekend for Utah, just Utah, brought in two hundred and eighty million. Right. So when you look at the whole index of what the value of black culture is to a state, <laughs> it's money's dollars and cents. And that's the whole thing kind of like we can go on another tangent of that. Because people keep on going at it with the charity route, right? There's a the whole thing of like tapping into that black people have money. Yeah. There are black people and black people will index on it. You're just devaluing the customer and the consumer. And so by doing that, you're alienating the culture and the style, and you don't think the style applies here into winter sports, right? And so that's why people why people, aren't buying the stuff or interested in stuff, because you're not making them feel welcome in that place, and you're not actually celebrating their style or the culture in a way that's authentic, right? So if actually winter sports wanted to do something to really actually tap into that do that, they would start making products, they would start catering, like, Let's take this for example, right? Natural selection. How many black journalists were there? I was there at a... Well, Salama. Okay. Where's Essence? Where's Ebony? Where's Complex? Okay. Where's Black Enterprise? Where's BET? Okay. So you're looking at this where the indexing on the money on here right there. If you went not actually indexed on that and actually like appealed to black people, you would make more money. <laughs> and so but you're not even inviting these people to your home to bring them in to actually show what they get what what we're doing here
0: do you put that down to what do you put that down to i mean i was going to use i was going to say is that laziness is that lack of understanding like what is that i think ignorance of culture and lack of respect for your consumer because the argument that always gets raised in that is like well no one's stopping people from coming and checking this out like you know this this anyone can go snowboard anyone can go skiing you know that's the classic that's the classic thing isn't it that always I'm gets. I'm tell you a funny
1: story about this whole thing on like linkedin that just happened to me yesterday like i almost i wanted to show it to you but i forgot right so i've shot for 30 years had the cover of snowboarder first black cover cover of ski first black ski cover wrote articles on this thing and so they all posted about like you know like hey check out the first black snow thing like great this guy in this thing and this tirade to go and try and actually like make a point about veil. think of that starts coming in attacking me. And he's like, don't use let Vale use you as a pawn. And I'm like, Dude, it it's not even that. It's just, they're just posting about like accomplishments that I actually did in my workplace, in my life. Right. And so like, you're trying to come and like cannibalize my thing in my moment on your talk with Vale I'm like, that's systemic racism. That's microaggression right there. Right. You're not actually celebrating the thing that I did. And actually be like, hey, how's can we do this? How can we move this forward, right? You're coming and criticizing me because Vail posted a thing about accomplishments I did. Like, and then he like got deeper into it and he's like, like, there aren't any black people on the slopes, da and I was just like, actually, the MBS was just there. They celebrated their fiftieth anniversary. Henry Rivers talked to me about it, so it was a great thing. Yeah, maybe like Vail isn't the best place, like as of yet, because of like economic disparity, right? Yeah. But They're trying something, they're working on something, they're offering a positive solution, right? And so in that place, you know, it's that guy's style of being like, I'm the outdoor expert and you need to listen to me coming onto my page about what I do on a business forum is like, well, why do you think black people want to hang out with you? yeah <laughs> you know it's like if this <laughs> is what you're like if this is what you're offering like this is your like yeah your, your interaction of like thing of that on someone on like that like what do you actually is this how do you react when actually more black people are on the slope yeah and the whole thing of like and he was like Veal just brings the charities there, and I'm like dude Kevin Hart goes skiing with his family every year to go to Aspen Travis Scott went snowboarding with Sean White like people at Montclair just did a whole thing with Danny Kegelmeier blew out money yeah on their global launch last week on their winter thing. The most representative people in the building were black people. There's Toby Wingway. There was Pharrell. There's Salehi like thing of that. Bonclair, obviously like, okay, we get this. Like yeah. all of a sudden, like that's the thing with like Virgil, like, you know, like all of a sudden people tapped into it. I'm like, like all of a sudden, if you get the cool people, like really, I'm talking like worldwide, not just snowboarders, but like across humanities culture. Yeah into snowboarding right it's not like it's just weird like oh we got this on a celebrity for a day but like someone who actually would generally care like virgil does about the culture of skate and snow like that on that level then you know what the culture is going to check in that because like what's virgil got going over here what's this all about what's happening here right yeah 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 and that's the whole thing because they never actually want to go talk to people on that level and actually like take the value of what black culture is and what how it moves things you go watch any edit on Instagram right now. Ninety percent of them are done to hip hop music.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I've got the notes that you made, and I made a couple of notes. Like Virgil, you said, you know, showed me a path to show the outdoor for black people in the language they could understand and get behind. And also, the other point that you that you kind of made was, um, one of the things that you've, you know, that's informed the way that you work now, if you like, is like. Shown a diverse perspective but also like you, you used the phrase like instead of creating photos of somebody else's narrative which is which is a really important distinction right because yeah. when you look at your career as a black person in a very very white like industry and culture and like the yeah you i mean again that's not something that that i ever really thought about like you know i i I kind of almost because it's it's basically like a monoculture isn't it when you look at it like that and i I, and that's not something you know for me i was just like oh yeah that's what it is that's what snowboarding is you know like and and what obviously the the way that your approach this has evolved is like it doesn't need well it's more than that firstly and we should be showing more than that well, there's
1: two things, and I've had important conversations with Virgil and honestly Conrad Anker about this, and it's 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 an interesting perspective, right? And then I'll talk about it. A couple years back, um, Virgil did a Louis Vuitton. It was the menswear uh, winter collection, and it had Saul Williams. And I actually just went to a recently talk at the uh, Natural, the CAA Museum, California African American Museum, and Saul did a great talk. Actually, Ryan Couler did a great talk there too. Um, And in that he had Saul Williams walking through the snow and it had like this music and the score and it just had this whole dynamicism, you know, that was just like amazing to me. And I was just like, and throughout the whole video and like the spoken word of Saul, right, they're talking about winter narratives from black person's perspective, right? And after I watched that video, I realized pretty much the whole 20 year career of my like snowboarding was a lie. That's, because, what that's what i'm getting at yeah so because all that i've been taught is to talk, to showcase snowboarding from a white person's perspective and right? when you
0: go and when we take it back to like the influences the things that you saw greg stump all that stuff like that's kind of where it starts right and that's where but and also, that's the path in
1: you know yeah but also like whenever i deviated from that thing or wanted to do something different or try something that people would be like they slap your hand. It's like almost like the gatekeepers of you can't, snowboarding you like you can't that. Do that. Like, oh, it's saying you gotta get back in this line over here. You can't yeah. do this or you can't do that. Like, you know, like can't make a movie like that. You can't make a soundtrack like that. Like honestly, like um, probably the first inclination of that is making stance. It was a women's film that I produced with Jeremy Miller in two thousand nine, right? And honestly, the reason one of the reasons I made that film is I've been working with Absinthe a lot and I've been working with Travis a lot. And they would never let me be me to a certain extent. It was like follow the leader in that regard. But a lot of times, like the opportunities that were presented to them were things that I'd set up, kinda of thing at like that. And again, it was a it was a, it was like it was a collaborative spirit but thing, but also like just sometimes I would want to go do more than this way, or I don't want to hear music this way or thing like that. Like, you know? Um like pivotal opinion right here, right? I'm going to go through the underboard for a certain thing. So Travis's in song in pop to Modest Mouse was like the worst cut ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> like that was
1: some of the most monumental, heavy, breaking, gnarly snowboarding thing of that. And it's to this indie pop song, and you're just like, dude, like that was a part that like defined snowboarding, and like it should have had. Like, I, 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 what was, I'm trying to think who it was of that song, but it was just, like, it just did not fit the snowboarding, you know? And, like, sorry, Travis, but real talk. <laughs> you know? Like, that should have had, like, some sort of just, like, very dramatic, very impactful, like, either just, like, something that, like, thumped, even though it's, like, you know, in that space, just to kind of, like, bring that home, right? Um, And that's the thing of sometimes, like, music and art missing the mark because of just like a piece right and so with that Virgil showed me because of how that music and how that landscape and how that thing um uh how he did it I was just like this is what I need to be doing like it literally, light bulb went on like it was like like this is like late in life for me yeah like, you know so it's like a revelation so it's kind of like like holy shit, what have I been doing in my well, life it's a this big whole
0: time? word, a lie. Like, to say it's a lie, yeah. to say, like, you looked at your whole career as a lie is a huge statement. I mean, you know... And but that's that,
1: what I had to kind of, like... I had really, like, I kind of had to address within myself. I'm like, look at what I'm doing and what are the stories I'm kind of tell. you know? And so that was, like, thing, and, and and I'll tell you, honestly, what was really great in some of those things and even coming out of that was honestly shooting The Curl with, with Russell, right? Like... I got to design that. I got to come up with the whole light piece. I honestly, like, we shot some amazingly better photos that I like. I can show you that are, I think were, like, impactful. But also just, like, being able to do portraiture and tell a story and then be able to get that through that issue of, like, of talking about black culture. And, you know, that whole thing came about because originally they wanted to do of just, like, oh, can we just do it on pro snowboarders? And I was like, no, you got to do it on black culture, right? Yeah. And so, once you start diving into that, you're diving into Corey Lake, who was, like, a DC designer right there. Like, he designed Travis's boots, and kids probably don't know it. You're getting into Damon Morris, who designed outerwear that kids don't even know a black person designed this. You're getting into Alphanumeric, which was, like, done by, um, you know, I'm trying to think of the guy's name. Um, I think it's Stacky. I haven't met him, but I know who he is. But it's just, like... That was the defining. So when you like look at alpha numeric as this definition, but even then, like you're talking in these places and the spaces, but you know, like even as far as like going into Nike, diving into it, like yeah. you know, like for a certain sense of that, like like here's the funny thing, and I, and I like it just kind of even came to me now, right? It's a funny thing of like, what does Nike do? They specialize in performance athletes and in culture, right? And so they got into snowboarding, snowboard and they left because they just weren't making enough money in it. And that's the whole funny thing about thinking about how snowboarding embraces by culture. But they're still over here making tons of basketball. So if you think about the execs yeah making money on that, there, well, why did we leave this and why are we staying here? What's actually like bringing in more money? So if actually snowboarding wrapped its head or winter sports wrapped its head around, like, like wow, Nike's making money over here. Where like everyone was like, there's lessons to be learned because like sometimes you get bigger brands that come in and then like they do shift the culture because you know, it's like buy an athlete, grab an athlete, whatever. And like, what are they actually doing for the authenticity of the sport per se? And I think there is, does need to be like, you know, like a roadmap and, and catered to the heritage, but also sometimes these new inflections of new things can steer business in a actually interesting and profitable way yeah. and also show the culture in a different way. So with that, Talking to Virgil and seeing what he's doing and doing these, him doing these collabs and coming at it right there, right? Like, we did that black history um, issue of Snowboard, and Virgil reposted it. That's how I met him. Like, he started reposting my photos from the thing, and I was just like, dude, thanks for reposting that. It. It's just amazing at that. But that, like, like, that reached millions, way more than my audience. Like, like yeah, standard, yeah, who's he? But like, Virgil, like, he was like, he was a megaphone on that, right? And so you t- when you're reaching people who are the megaphone and culture, then it's gonna go exponentially. Yeah. Yeah. And so looking at that and like looking at my work now, I'm like, okay. Oh, sorry. It's all good. Um what can I do to make that exponentially in that culture? And what can I do to make things relevant there? And how can I make work that actually like impacts black culture there? Because for me, right, and here's the reason why I'm doing this. People think that's like I'm just like this like Caught my way is kind of thing like that. But I'm like, snowboarding gave me everything. Winter sports gave me everything, right? So out there, there is another young black kid just like me, sat out there in the world trying to discover things like that, right? Yeah. And I need to reach him. I need to reach that person, right? How do I reach that person? Through my photos through my speaking, through my work, through my artwork and I reach that kid and then all of a sudden that kid tells another black kid and then the other black kid and they show up on the hill and then there's another stand-up the photographer after me. right? So it's like it's laying the foundation yeah. to actually look for growth and that
0: foundation takes a lot of time. Well, it's taking you your whole life and career I yes. mean this is how long it's taken you is yeah, it? yeah I mean like it's still like not done really like, you well know, I like, mean it's like there but it's a looking sideways cliche but it's going to be a life's work isn't it you know for you but I just want to quickly go back to because because you you said like you were at the game for about 10 years like when I think you said that the snowboard game I mean like you kind of moved it away like 15. From, yeah. you kind of moved away from it and you've you when we've been talking over messaging and, and earlier today you you know you used the phrase like microaggressions and you so did you start to did you start to feel like it wasn't a place for you like the industry like what what was behind that shift away because you've gone away and then you've come back like so what so, uh, and you've come back with a new understanding of what you can do with your position and your work but like in that time like what 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 was it like a natural career shift or or was it
1: there were like honestly probably like three different things, right? And I'll be honest, and I'll start with the first one. My first love was photography. It wasn't snowboarding. I yeah, think that's the whole thing that sometimes snowboarders get so like caught up in the they can't think that other people can be multifaceted and love something else, right? Yeah, uh, the, snowboarding the re- was just I, a, I recognize that picture, a, a piece of that, right? <laughs> yeah, and like and like and like, and, like, and it was great and a thing, but like, like really at the time, like you know, for really getting to it, like I'm a thrill seeker, like I love skiing i love snowboarding i love riding my mountain bike i like ride my motorcycle it's like i'm just one of those people who's like fast-paced kind of like adrenaline junkie to be completely honest right yeah. and but snowboard is just that thing but i love photography for all of them right and that's like my thing that's like my first love. and so when you get into that and you shoot snowboarding like let's just be honest right photography for snowboarding has not changed that much it's like if you go out on a bluebird sunny day you you're shooting like a thousand at five six or five hundred f eight. Think of that, and you're making that thing doing their like powder turn, and like from the seventies to like 2023, like it hasn't changed. And so for me, as wanting to create something that's like interesting and interesting image, you get bored. Yeah, like my, my whole thing is about creation, right? And so looking at that, also the whole thing is like. I felt like kind of a little bit of the industry didn't really understand or, um, value photographers and cinematographers the way they should. And I'll talk about that. And I think that's not even a black or white that's just a whole thing, right? Because when you look at skiing and snowboarding, I mean, you have some world cups, you have some competitions, you have some X games, but realistically it was built on magazines and the culture and the videos, Right. And so as you go doing that, like that's the main medium of getting that stuff out and make people's names out and like now you have Instagram. But quietly the companies just start squeezing the editorial places out so hard, making the returns on their ad buys and their deliverables so unreasonable, the magazines just start going out of business. Production companies just start going out of business. And so now you've cut off your nose to spite your face because the whole thing that you're actually using to push and advertise your sport. Is being cannibalized, right? And so you could see it coming. And for me, I'm just like, well, there's not much of a career long longevity here, sure. you know, like yeah. that. So I need to go move into something else. Yeah. And again, I was bored at the time. And honestly, the third thing, injuries. I've had six knee surgeries, you know. Like yeah, my, it's, a, it's, a, it's a grueling, it's a yeah. grueling line of work. And so, like, my back's beat up, you know, things yeah. like that. And so, like, when people are like, even just in the second round, we're like come back and i'm like Dude, it's just not worth my health on some things right yeah. Like on some things i'll go go do stuff and like that but in that space as far as shooting photos like people like i don't feel like i really have anything left to prove i have more things to prove in creating more in the spaces of photography yeah of like in my own imagination of being in like la and like being out here and where there's a network of like Really great photographers, and you have to prove yourself there. Like I just like I needed a new challenge, and I needed a challenge for myself, and also just my imagination, my own head. You know, like I just wanted to go make things that were like different. And like, yeah, so for me, like it's like what can I create? And then, like, I think the biggest thing that's an interesting thing for for winter sports is like it's a difference between wanting to go create something and wanting to capture. And like the sport wanted me to go capture moments. And I wanted to go create moments.
0: Well, I mean, it's like it's, it's yeah. I, I mean, as you describe it, that strain of of creativity, whether it's that it is sort of sales, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like selling a it's selling an idea of it. Mm-hmm. it and, and as we're talking about, quite a one dimensional idea, really mm-hmm. historically. So, yeah, I mean, and there's not even even if you have a lot of. Agency and power. There's not a huge amount of scope to do mm. something truly creative. I mean, you you, you got to be quite an outlier in the game to do something that's. Well,
1: fit. I will say that right like now, and because of like what I've done and what I've accomplished, now more brands are actually coming to maybe let me go do the thing. And I will say, like we did this parachute, and and it came about because I mean, like I'm on the board of directors of SIA, and I've met some really amazing people in there, and one of them is the company owner. Eric Tung. He's a um he's an Asian man here and has a business. And we kinda of talking about it and like and think in his philosophy, his thing was like and there's a big thing in like diversity was like, let's talk about, let's talk about. It's like let's do another podcast, let's do another like Panel and thing, and at a certain point, like I'm a doer. I'm not into, like a talk about it anymore. Yeah. Like, like I just, I, like, I was like, you can go listen to my old podcast. You can hear what I have to say. I don't yeah. have anything new to say. Follow those steps first, and when well, you that, get to well, step seven. Well, then call me. Those, those right? things
0: aren't change, are they? Like ch- change, is when the is is when the output is different. So he gave me the opportunity. He's like, Stan, what are you thinking about like for our winter campaign? And I was like,
1: and he wanted to elevate his brand. And so we did this whole video asset thing as far as like rolling out their Instagram, their social media, um coming up with video assets, coming up with a narrative, and it's just something like like we did the music where like I didn't like pull different pieces of music, but like I actually scored the music, like I made the music like there like you know like late night in my computer trying to figure out different things and like making it to create a mood, yeah, because I was just like, and it's just things of like, am I creating? A feeling that people want to like jump into is this something like again that my community can look at this like yeah. and it's like if you've never gotten into snowboarding or skiing, does this does these visual elements make you want to explore this? And I think sometimes like people get so caught up in like if someone's doing the gnarliest trick or if we're your bros, but I'm like, am I creating something that people like look at this and they're like, man, I want to check this out, like just start that first level, that first step, yeah, right? And so I'm like, let's pull it all the way back and then the whole thing the virtual thing. Let's take it back to that first step, that that inception point that someone sees winter. Yeah. Sees outdoor. Sees skiing or snowboarding right there. Am I catching them at that visceral level at that first point? Then, you know, honestly, from there, all the media from there, there's like, there's tons of expert videos out there. You can go to YouTube and everyone's done their, like, their video project there. But, like, I was like, okay. I think what I need to do is, like, just pull it back to this inception point. Yeah. Of, like people beginning and getting into it. And like, maybe they're coming from the city or like Midwest or a thing like that. I'm like, this is how I see winter. And it's just like this cool, crazy, unique experience. Right. And so if you kind of create it and put it in that, that kind of like dynamic, People just want to go experience it. And they don't have to be like the gnarliest person on the hill.
0: Or it doesn't have to nod to like what was it we were talking about. Kind of the, the jock culture strain of it, you know.
1: Well, here's the whole thing. I'm like, and, it's like that, even like, and it's not even so much about the jock culture. Like my girlfriend now, right? She doesn't. She's never skied. She's never snowboard. And she's like looks at that stuff on like, my and She's like, honestly, fuck that shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 no. Baby, really? There's this thing here. And it's beautiful and it's like the whole thing that's not necessarily like digressing it but it's also for the black people too to actually see yeah. like that and so like i gotta try and convince them because yeah. honestly like that's the only thing we talk about distribution right and the messaging right it's not about just this over here like this like we've already been established yeah it's about bringing these people into the crowd that have never seen this yeah yeah and like getting them stoked to come check that out. And so that's where you're gonna come and get this conversion. And like right now there's this whole influx of trying to figure out like how do we get new consumers, right? Mm-hmm. But no one's ever talked to this my girlfriend, she's a young, black, professional woman who's like works at, you know, executive level. And she's just was like, you know, I'm like I'm trying to explain to her the beauty of this thing.
0: Yeah, she's got cash, big bears down the road, like, you what know that what like, you know like it's like
1: park city you know like there's sundance people want to go see that they want to go see that lifestyle they want to ride around a sleigh maybe they want to get a massage i don't know maybe they want to hit opera and like sit at the lodge like who cares yeah they're into it yeah you know like she did two runs she's happy good for you yeah that's great like you know and you want to experience all the rest of this right like i use this as a case of like like you know like there's a whole big thing in utah right now like the whole like um subversive racism about, about they have with the whole like BYU channel like people calling the n-word to different players and stuff like that and really like, what's, I don't know about that what's oh that man, go look into it it's like no, there's a whole thing on um,
0: Brigh- that's Brigham Young University right so Yeah, that's the Mormon University yeah so
1: there's that and then um um. God, I'm trying to think of the uh, Spider Mitchell. It's why he wrote a letter. He like wrote a dissertation. You should re- read it. Okay, I don't about know about this. Why right. he left Utah because he felt like he was being profiled. He get pulled over for the cops like that and like and so these are the things too. Like where, where people think about this, right? And they were talking about him like you know, it was such a pivotal thing, and I was like, yeah. I had to live in Utah and I wasn't Spider Mitchell. (laughs) Yeah. So I had to like go through all these things. Like like I know what he's talking about, but like people weren't really paying attention to it because I wasn't a celeb. Yeah. I was vocalizing it. Right. And so you look at that and that's, that scares black people. It scares diverse people like of wanting to go into it. This so, guy's me, to be honest. Yeah. But I look at that, and I'm like looking at th- this, and I'm like, okay. But in the inverse, right? Utah, in that space, in this compartment, like a small area of state, has got one of the most beautiful like landscapes, beauty. Like You've got Arches National Park. You've got Bryce National Park. You've got Salt Flats. You've got Mirror Lake Highway. You've got Snowbird and Park City. And you've got all these... like. You know, like, beautiful areas that, like, why shouldn't black people be able to experience that without fear? Yeah. And because I've seen all those things, and they're beautiful to me. They're sights to my eyes, right? And so, for me, I just want to make that a place where, one, black people want to see that. And like, okay, so they can experience. Because, like, here's the whole thing. it's If you don't experience those things, you're living an unfulfilled life. If you've never seen those kind of, like, sunrises or sunsets over the arches, think of that— you're missing out and so I look at that and I look at my culture like you're missing out on seeing this experience because these people are scaring you from going there yeah right and so what can I do to change that so do
0: you you feel like now that you do you feel like it's changing do you feel like because obviously we've kind of set quite a scene here and and you've really obviously kind of made such a compelling case for like your career and how it's changed and how you feel like but I guess do you feel that a, a quote I sort of said to you over, over messaging was like a friend of mine was, saying, I think, you know, true diversity is when it isn't just stories about people, it's stories by people, you know. Do you do you feel like we're getting closer to that?
1: Yes. I mean, I think like, I'll give you an interesting example, right? And it's a funny one with Red Bull, which again, I have a tenuous relationship with. So we did the first women's solo ski project with Greta Eliasson at the time, like in 2010, right? Like it was fighting tooth and nail to get that budget because it was such a male dominated. They didn't see the value in it. Like there, like, um, to be completely you know, honest, I don't think that they thought that she was going to get a world record on the hip. Yeah. Hip air thing like that. And okay. So now we are fast forward. Um, 12 years later, right? They did, a. Uh, piece on Tatum Monod and like on her family and like they're there and it's a solo piece on her and her family at that and I look at that and I look at 2010 and I'm like man we started that
0: yeah
1: right and like and the funny thing about it's like they both won if3 for like best female film like that so like 10 years ago they did it there but now like they did it there but looking at the money and the production value they put into it they <laughs> threw way more money at that than, than we had right yeah. And is that progress? It was like, congrats on Tatum and her team. Like, that's amazing. Like, I like, yeah. see that stuff, and it's a beautiful film. And you, anyone should go watch it. Like, go check it out. Like, you know, but I like, look at that and I watched that film, and I was just like, man, and somewhere inside, I'm like, man, I started that spark.
0: Yeah. Great. You Which know? was feel good. Yeah.
1: So when I look at that, as far as like, you know, like, Producing a couple women's films and looking at stuff like I'll give you another example where it honestly hasn't come into fruition as much is honestly probably the LGBT community in snowboarding. Yeah, like that's something where it's still kind of like wrapping its brain around it a little bit, and like it's interesting because like the whole Terry comments and like torment, like them going back and forth, and and
0: I, know, ju- I just d- I just thought that was another example of the dumbness that I mentioned earlier. Like I just thought. I just found that whole thing fucking embarrassing, to be honest, because I was just a bit like, I mean, this is like going back to the 60s. You know, the way the terms in, which, in which it was played out. That was, I just was like, God, this is I just. mean, I
1: think people like, and, um, there's so many ways you can come at that, right? But, and the whole thing about that is, it's like, the thing that Terry didn't, pick up on from that right it's not about what you said it's how you made someone
0: feel yeah and it's also how you react to that knowledge as well
1: again and like again how you make someone feel whether your apology is disingenuous or not and like you know people can see it both ways like that but really comes down to is like how did you make someone feel like if you really like you care then you're like damn man i'm sorry like i didn't mean to make you feel that way i just wasn't thinking
0: my bad right which is not a complicated thing, yeah. you know. But well, people's called, egos it's, it's get called, caught up it's called in empathy, it, and it isn't becomes, it?
1: <laughs> comes hard, and so, but also, like looking at that, and I'll, I'll give you a, a clear example of like that with snowboarding for me. Like one of the best female snowboarders I've ever seen in my life, and like that was this girl, Raylan Reed. I don't know if you ever remember Raywin.
0: I mean, again, I've, I mean, this is going to be quite telling, but vaguely, yeah. You know,
1: she had two video parts in stance. I think like if you watch her whole thing. She was sponsored by DC, but I'm pretty sure because she was a lesbian that she didn't get the backing out right there. And like, Kimmy went from DC like after the film part, Burton picked her up, right? And then DC kind of just like kind of left her wrangling because like it was just one of those things of like the cute girl in snowboarding and snowboarding paradigm shift. They didn't really like know how to market, but like, dude, literally go watch one of her parts. Like, she literally to this day she is one of the best female snowboarders i've ever seen in my life hands down morgan lafont tina Bassich, you know whoever you want to put it like yeah. tara Dakita is like literally she is one of the best right and she like never got her flowers you know and like it's sad and like it's one of those things from like working with her and like she stayed at my place and had the clothes in our film like she was such an amazing person like i don't really know even what she's doing now right right but like it's something we're like snowboarding should do a deep dive on her and like like on that history of that and like realistically like back in the day um it's why people made a hoopla about it and i was actually talking to rich goodwin he's one of the filmers he did stuff for like community project and films for abs and things like that but brody dow i don't know if you remember him yeah but k2 he was gay like we all knew and was just like thinking this is like 99 right but we're just like he's just a good cool dude and doing his thing and snowboarding, he came on trips with us and like that, and like this whole thing of like revolution. It's like it was kind of those things where people people just had respect for him as a human being. Yeah, and so it wasn't a thing of like I don't know. I mean, it's, I think it's great that people are having more openness to it, and I'd like to see more of that because I just like seeing more different people doing different things like there. But it's just looking like that road with that with the community there. They've had such a hard road to get to, like openness and acceptance, and like that. And like even then, like there's still a lot of acceptance. I mean, like you'd be surprised how many of the quote-unquote OG pro snowboarders have like been so disrespectful to the gay community.
0: Well, I mean, it was a, you know, it was it was an insult. (laughs) I mean, you know, like it was part of the. It was, you know that's so gay I mean that was literally just a, an offhand comment for like for sure for, but for, just for, like for, for, it was
1: a it was it's it's not to name any names but definitely like people that I've seen and know in like prominence disparagingly not like yeah okay so, so not even
0: thing. not even like an excuse that it's just like a bit of slang or like yeah
1: no like like vindictive yeah right and yeah. so, like, it's, like, funny, like, seeing these people, like, you know, and again, that's where the people, honestly, like, kind of almost, like, coddle those people. Like, yeah. almost, like, the industry, like, you know, like, like, there's a little bit of coddling with Terry, right? I'm like, here's the thing, and, I'm, and I'll say straight up, right? And there's a couple things on on, on there, right? I grew up, and I, like, love snowboarding and that. And Terry was like impactful over my life right and like just seeing all these different things and like just amazing snowboarder and like such amazing talent right and things like that and when the whole thing came off of far as like that just like you know like comments where there was like lighthearted or side note or thing like that right it just didn't feel like it's it was one of those things where like how your attitude is to people and like you treating them as less than it wasn't so much about what you said. It's just the way that you're going about doing it and treating people. And like, that's kind of a hard thing. And I know like probably I'm going to ruffle some feathers with that, but like, that's where I actually like lost respect for him because of that. Right. Because as a diverse person, like I'm usually the person who's on the receiving side of that. So I saw that perspective of that. And like, and I was just like, how that makes people feel. Right. And so, you know, and it's interesting because a lot of those people like, you know, in that thing, like, like, well, like, you know, even with my part is like, do you want D.I. Like when black people say it, because in the black community, they're like, you know, like, it's not like, it's disingenuous, you know, like people, like it's very a threat to male masculinity as far as like being a tough black male of gay people in the community. And so, when I hear that stuff, or I see that stuff in my community of people, I called out right then and there. Right there, you know? Like, I was just like, no, we're not having that, right? And so, it's something that I go and actually talk to, and, like, and it's something where, like, you know, you have to... You have to live with a certain sense of integrity of how you would want to be treated, and how you want people to treat you, and how they want to treat your kids, or thing like that, whatever. And, like... I just, I like, I just, I... It's so hard sometimes sitting there and seeing that and, like, being, like, on the other side because I've had this with, like, having to to chime up and, and trying to, like, do the right thing. And, like, it takes a lot of courage. And I don't think people really understand how much it is when you see injustice to have to, like, step in and step up and do it. And it's funny you see the people who do and then the people who sit by the sidelines, Right. So you have to like, ask yourself, and like, here's the funny thing, and it's a tough thing, right? Everyone thinks when that situation is going to happen to them that that they're going to step in and be the hero, but more times than not, what I've seen, people shirk into the bushes, like Homer Simpson background, <laughs> and, like just like let shit fucking happen, right?
0: Or they or they show who they are.
1: Well, that's again, that's who they do. They show who they are. Yeah, right,
0: yeah. Right? Like, but it, by by the reaction, and I think that's that that can also be. Pretty sobering and upsetting.
1: I'm going to give you an example, right? A long while back, right? I was doing a team trip for a brand. We went to Silverton, right? The team manager, like on that, didn't get enough rooms for everyone to sleep. So for me, me, so I didn't have a room or a bed upstairs, right? So in their space of mind, I had to sleep in the basement with no heat, full on sleeping bag thing that my buddy, coulter who was actually on the shoot right he actually chimed in and i chimed in and he's like well let's just get stand in the hotel room because it's like um, you know it's not great conditions for the thing like that right but the team manager because it was just like a power move he was like no you're gonna sleep down there and like like i was freezing my ass off i'm like and i did like five days well everyone else slept upstairs all the pros had all their rooms there and like i know who was there yeah and i know who chimed in and you know who and then I know who didn't and you know he right?
0: was like i hope you're all right down there
1: yeah yeah so it's just like well i was like you know so it's this thing and so the thing about it is like i went and worked five days busted my ass like thinking of that shot the whole thing out there right and did my job right and those are just the things of, like the microaggressions of things like that and the power plays like looking at like the diversity or how people that you see when people step up or like when they need to like of like when those things happen yeah and you know who didn't
0: yeah so so if we sort of pull back a little bit then mm-hmm. and we look at this now um you do you do sound like like you feel like things have changed for the positive like you do you for do sure. you do sound like you feel like that all these you know all these because you know another really interesting theme of this conversation has been mentors and has been has been figureheads and has been people like you know mm-hmm. showing a path you know virgil being the being the obvious person that you've spoken about and you've also talked about how for you that's almost how you see your own role now like in the work that you do and like as somebody like in so do you do you feel do you you feel like we're we're moving into a more positive place do you feel like because with with 2020 you know that sort of moment you that had a huge impact but one of the things you said since is like there's been a lot of other George Floyd's since then and there's been you were a bit like silence is quite deafening on that um couple things
1: contribute to that right if we're talking about just the winter sports industry or just in general as far as like but i think this this kind of goes to the broader sense of of industry right with the george floyd and the COVID and kind of like trump and kind of just division of america right there like there was a deep precipice on the like the last election where people were like really just like Oh, my God. Like, literally, like people were like,
0: I'm moving from America. Like, yeah. I'm getting out of it here. Felt, right? It felt it, like...
1: It felt it, like there was, it, was on the edge, right?
0: It re, it re, I mean, the, yeah. the relief <laughs> was, okay. was and quite... so,
1: I think, because of that, like, you're in a, a car with no brakes going downhill towards a brick road, right? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone felt out, like... Everyone put airbags in the road to, like, stop it from hitting the brick, brick wall, right? Like, let's just like, oh, my God, we're going to throw other, out there. We're going to put foam. We're going to think no one's going to hit the brick road. We're going to do everything we can, right? Yeah. And so I think after the election with, you know, Biden and Kamala, it's like everyone just took a huge sigh of relief, right? Yeah. And so I think without that, like, you know, it's like um, people move towards radical change when there's an emergency, right? And so I think right now because people don't like it's like the emergency is kind of like subsided a little bit right. right and like maybe not so much but in everyday life you know like it's like i think the whole thing that held us to george floyd right and the whole thing of the black lives matter thing is like we had covid so everyone was trapped in their house and they all had to sit and watch
0: right? yeah no that's a really good point right? and, like it was quite of its yeah of that moment wasn't so it so
1: there was nowhere to go there's no distractions there's nothing you had to focus on this thing and like really sit in it right yeah but now the world's opened back up you can travel again. You can go do your thing like that. And like it's it's another channel on your TV like where like that. And like now you can flip that channel, right? Yeah. Instead of having to like sit in it. And so I think when you have to sit in it, you have to make steps to actually like write a new story for that channel. But otherwise, like you can just switch to a new channel. And I think that's the whole thing. People are just kind of like, eh, right. I need to watch the show. I can just kind of like, you know, like...
0: I can go watch this happy show. Like, yeah, I, but not everyone know. can turn the show off, though.
1: Exactly. Like what's different one for me, like mm. when I'm living it, right? Yeah. Like it's like like I think that's a it's a very interesting point where like you see a lot of people like in like in snowboarding and surfing and things like that like, like like I just want to be seen as a surfer I just want to be seen as a snowboarder and think like of that and da da. And you see this in a lot of magazines and I've seen this in a lot of articles from black athletes, right? And the reality is like that you can't take black off no matter where you go, you walk onto that beach, you walk onto that snow Think of that. People are going to see you as a black person, right? So the only thing, the best thing you can do is have pride in your person of who you are. Right. And like, you are a black, this, or you are a black surfer or you are a black snowboarder with that. And you're really good at what you're doing. And you're doing this within your space and your culture thing of that. Right. But it's so funny of people having to want to always wanted to like shirk that role. And like the world's always going to see that thinking like, there's never like a place where you're be like, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's where, like, like the mindset with kind of the younger crew, they haven't really come to that conclusion. They're like, you can't, like, here's the whole thing. Like, that's the difference between snowboarding and, like, my ethnicity, right? Mm. I can go snowboarding in the world like that. But once I take those clothes off and I walk down the street, and honestly, it was a great thing of, like, moving out, I'm just another person. Yeah. You know? And also, like, it's a great equalizer. That was the thing about, like, New York. I'd done all this stuff in like winter sports and stuff. I went there and no one gave a shit. <laughs> yeah, I <bet>. <laughs> <laughs> You know? Yeah. You're like, you're just like another dude riding the subway. Yeah. You know? And like, what can you create? And like that. And, and I think that it gives you a semblance of like what you are creating and how you can create on scale and also like what you're actually doing and what you haven't done and what you have yet to accomplish. Right? Yeah. So it gives you a sense of like, there's another, there's levels to this and there's another level you can hit as far as that thing goes. and yeah, you were this thing here, but like here you have to kind of start building again in a whole different world, in a whole different way. And like, what is the impact that you're having? And like, how are you going about that impact? And is it meaningful? And is it long lasting And that? And so it's given me a whole perspective on that take of that it was like, of like doing to doing work on scale that it's like, like I'm actually affecting lives. And that's actually like been really fun with doing some of these, like, DEI projects I'm making people feel seen like it's like I know I'm doing stuff on scale I'm doing good work that makes people feel good even though sometimes like man it is like there's a lot of work and like you know just trying to help people and educate people but also like just trying to create weird art and like different things that I see and like you know like my mind runs like a million miles an hour right and like it's part of sometimes it's just like having to quiet my mind on all the different like things that I'm trying to do and focus on the things i pinpoint pinpointed in these different places and have impact. How do right? you turn it off? Whoops. <laughs> Sorry.
0: That's <laughs> no, it's all good. We're still going. That's yeah. the question. <laughs> How do I turn it off? I'm still working on that. Yeah, I was going to say, if you find out, can you let me know? <laughs> no, I'll, I'll give you
1: a thing. And this is the guy who, again, he like he's like one of my closest friends. He stays behind. But this guy, Austin Holt, works for me. He's my digital strategist, right? And he is absolutely amazing. And it's funny because he's he listens. He's innovative. He's thoughtful. He helped me on a lot of stuff in the past. I have a great assistant that I'm working with. This guy Maurice Hill. Like he's like helping me. So it's like having people like that. Like I have a great editor Jeff Mustache. Like I have a good team. Yeah, you know. And so having this good team of people that I worked with for years. That um oh my other uh, graphic designer John Strivey. So like let me just list them off like Austin uh maurice uh jeffrey um john and then um and honestly like uh my girlfriend recently like because like i come in and i'm all stressed out and think of that and like
0: literally she just laughs at me
1: like it's like yeah funny my, that, my,
0: my wife does that as well yeah <laughs> to be like so serious <laughs> she's always so like no no one fucking and cares. like of that yeah
1: and like literally like i come in and like She just laughs at me. She's like, you're so serious. And just talks like, I'll I'll get it all out. Yeah. And then she just laughs. And like all of a sudden, then I look at myself and I'm like, God,
0: how ridiculous am I being right now? You you need that. You need that. I I definitely need that. My wife's always like, no one fucking cares. Shut up.
1: And so having someone like that to kind of just check you. Yeah. Kind of like that. But also like, man, you are getting all like twisted up about nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and like what, and so it kind of like settles you on a thing. Like, know what you can do, do what you can control, do the best you can, sleep on it, start all over again the next day, and like sometimes that's kind of just like what you have to do.
0: Yes, I heard recently like you know if if in doubt gets get a good night's sleep and the older i get the more i very much see the truth in that <laughs> yeah it's
1: funny because like even with my mind raising sometimes i'm just like insomniac style like where I'm yeah just like like because i just start thinking oh like i got an idea and it starts burning and like starts burning at 3 a.m yeah and then i'm just sitting there until like 6 and then finally get up you know and then like and then like another idea and then like that and then you like go to bed and you're like cranky until like later and then you're burning through with, like like I literally am just, like, this, like, they make fun of me because I'm just, like, this little idea machine, Yeah. And so, like, I'm just churning through these things, and, like, and I think that's the other thing of, like, the semblance of stuff, and honestly, like, you know who taught me a really great lesson was um, a great photo of Jeff Baker, right? He was a snowboarder for a long time, and, you know, we had all these great photos, and, like, you go and send them, like, you know, when you're a photographer, like, every photo is your baby, right? And he just learned to teach me how to like let it go. Like if your photo didn't get picked for the magazine, like they yeah. just let it go. Good lesson. Like, you just gotta like let it go and just move on to the next. But it was such a hard thing because now like these young creators, they like they think everything like oh this is the thing that's gonna hit and it's gonna buy Like you just gotta let it go. Yeah, like, you but, do. The whole, but the thing is being consistent, right? Mm-hmm. If you're just doing consistent on a thing, something's gonna hit.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know? No, it, well, it's again, it's a long game, isn't it? Yeah. Creativity, like you yeah. need to. All those cliches are true, like about it. It they really are. The more and you 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 know all that sort of bullshit, like you know every there's a success and every failure and all that stuff, like. But it is it is all valid and it is all true, like. And I think I think if you're going to have a career of any substance you got you got the earlier you can get your head around that the better i think
1: and that's a hard thing when you're putting yourself and your personal stuff into things right yeah because when it's like when it's
0: personalized work yeah
1: it's a part of you but you also just gotta like learn to like it's almost like shedding skin you know like you gotta just like move on to the next layer kind of deal and that's been super helpful just like learning that lesson and like and again and jeff taught me that very 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 early on and things like that because there's just so many good photographers at the time and so many people just left on the like light r- light table you know at the day yeah, like, i mean you
0: were coming up in a probably the most competitive period ever right i mean every- yeah
1: and so that's the crazy thing and i think that kind of like relates to another thing i don't think people really realize how gnarly that was at that time because like most people got into snowboarding or skiing and stuff like that or got into the sport at that time like the parents were into it, their family was into it, they went on ski vacations, like that. Like I told you, like my parents, yeah. They are like, Cool, have fun with that. Like like literally for me, like even the second time getting back to Alaska, while wow, we just brought it way back around, right? I was fifteen years old, my parents were like, You wanna ski or get a ski pass? Like they were like, Well buy one, we'll be the you buy your skis, yeah, or ski pass, one or the other, but you gotta like take care of the rest. Mm. Right. And so like I mowed lawns in the summertime like that. And, like, I bagged groceries. There was, like, a thing, like, when you go on, onto the army base, like, that was called the commissary, right? Yeah. And if you live in an artist, you know that. So, there's people who bag your groceries. So, you have to understand, I was a 15-year-old kid who bagged groceries in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Know? That's plenty juice. So, when you think about, like, bagging groceries and taking them out to people's cars in the wintertime in Alaska, that's what I had to do to go get that like, Yeah. Right? So, like, going to school, I had paid for college. Like, I had student loans. Like, you know, like... I worked at the pickle barrel. Like if you go there, I still go there like that. Like my first Heli trip was paid for. I worked a year at a sandwich shop. Right. Yeah. So pay for a two week trip in, in Heli and then I came back and I started working at the sandwich shop again to start paying it off again. Right. <laughs> so it wasn't like it was just like all of a sudden I became pro. And that was like probably a little bit of the interesting thing of getting into the sport that way. Yeah. Because you know, I'll tell you the funniest story, right? Um I was in Alieska the second time. It was the second time I'd gone on a heli trip. And I was like there with, like, I think I was with Justin Mooney and Nell Boshoff and Andrew Noyes, right? And this woman comes skiing up to me because she sees me in the camera, like, in this one-piece thing of like that, right? <laughs> and it's like Jenny Linus, Bjorn's mom, right? Right. And she's like, my son's a pro snowboarder, right? <laughs> and thing of that, And I'm like cool like i don't you know like i just looked down and i was like okay cool you know i'm like and i actually knew who he was and think of that like that and she's like yeah we moved out from minnesota to the base of snowbird so eric and bjorn could become pro snowboarders and i'm like just think about that for a second right yeah like this family bought a place at the base of snowbird so the kids could become professional snowboarders right and like, I'm working at the sandwich shop to pay for, like, you know, <laughs> for a heli boarding trip, thing of that. And so, like, that's just the weird thing of like where people, like, you know, like in that. And then I went and shop with Bjorn and Eric, like, you know, and like, great guys, nice dudes, you know, thing of that. But it's just like, my starting point was way further.
0: Was pretty different, yeah. Than
1: like that one, right? And so, like, now when you look at kids, like, they're sending their kids to Woodward and like they're going to camps and things like that. And like, it's really cool, you know, like it's seeing that and like just honestly talking about like hopefully educating people and having the right way to like, you know, like having foam pits and airbags, less people getting hurt, you know, like because that's definitely one thing that definitely concerns me about snowboarding and the CTE, you know, yeah, and like
0: another thing that doesn't really get spoken about, yeah, and all. so you know probably coming down the line
1: so if you look just recently in cnn there was an article about two female athletes that just recently committed suicide because they had cte injuries you should look it up it's really quite alarming right and so when you think about these things and you think about the cases of like kevin pierce or gretchen or like even like jj thing he's like i've been concussing at that like i i i I get a little concerned about like all these kids like going there and not really having like adequate checks for CTE thing that, because it's like, what is that actually going to like, again, future or sport, where is that going to do for snowboarding? Right. Like if people are actually coming out with all these different types of like brain problems, yeah. you know, like, again, so like, I think it's something to be looked at. And honestly, like I said, I, I talked to JJ a lot about this just because he's, you know, he's like Sean White's ex coach. And like, and he was there when like sean ripped his face off and he's had his own injuries and you know like gretchen went through like a super um harsh injury where she like wrecked her orbital on um on the trampoline at the u.s team center right and so when you look at these people like going to that but then they're coming back and going to these things like it's like what's our retirement system for like these people who have like had traumatic injuries, who were, like you know like basically representing America, yeah, and things like that, and like how are we treating these athletes who have like gone and through and endured all these stuff like that, and like, and, and it's interesting because like even with football,
0: and NFL, they have a fund for that. Yeah. You know? Well, again, that, that we're, we're quite behind the, the the pace there, aren't we? You know, over here <laughs> behind,
1: and and as far as like that, but ahead as far as like potential for like. For tragic yeah. thing of that. So it's just yeah. like, you know, like, so it's just like, it's like, okay, well, you know, like you can have a, I mean, there's old cars that don't have airbags and there's new cars that do. Yeah. It's just like you're heading down the highway. Like it's like safety measures. It's like where you created the seatbelt. So like, if you know you're in the place for tragedy or traumatic injury thing like that, like it's not so much that like you're going to, you're not going to be able to stop people from like, Getting hurt. People are going to get hurt because it's progression of the sport. They're like, they're, people are trying to push things as far as they can, right? Yeah. But I think things should be in place. Like, I mean, I'm trying to think of just like the football player that just collapsed recently, right? Just that fast action of like putting on stuff and having proper measures in place for people. Like, I mean, like, I'll be honest, like, part of the thing that actually got me over snowboarding was driving people to the hospital. Yeah. I like, bet. you know, like, it was like, I drove UC, I drove Trevor, I drove Coulter, I drove, like, you know how many trips I made to the hospital just working as a snowboard photographer? Like, that shit sucked.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Um,
1: So, that's where the thing where, like, it's just, like, with cheating death. And, honestly, to a certain point, like, like when it was really, like, I don't know, probably on 2005 to seven. Snowboarding was getting so gnarly that it was like life or death every day.
0: Yeah, there was a real shift. It was like,
1: it was literally like sometimes like, you know, it was just like, I'm not even kidding. I'm like, I would go out with Travis and just like myself, I would just say a little prayer like, please, no one die today. Yeah. And I think
0: we've been lucky. I think we really have. I mean, obviously, there's been awful things, but...
1: also myself included. Like, I was like, please don't die to include myself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And so that's kind of like... I mean, I'm glad that it backed away from that. To be completely honest, like right. it definitely looked, took a, it. It chilled out, you know. Yeah, because there was like times where, like, definitely like even with Roman or JP, like it was gnarly.
0: Yeah, well, especially Roman, you Jesus. know. Jesus. <laughs> so just
1: the fact that some of the people have come through unscathed is like it's such a blessing. Yeah, you know, like it's like it's cool just to see those guys. Like, I mean, I follow him and JP. I'm like. I'm um, just on Instagram and just checking how they're doing and I'm just like and I'm actually so proud of what those guys have accomplished with yes you know like yeah, they're yeah. creating their own business and their own model like after they all got cut by Burton yeah like and it's just funny and they just went and made their own thing and it's like surviving and thriving and that's just super cool yeah no you know? agreed
0: agreed yeah hey thanks Dan well I'm gonna I wanna wrap it up by okay. um, asking you gave me a book which is yeah, yeah. which is I mean any, any future guests listening I highly approve of uh, people giving me books. So tell me about this book that you give me.
1: It is, uh, let's see, A Curious Mind by Brian Glazer. And he is the producer who did, like, Splash. He did 8 Mile. I think he worked on a couple other. Oh, he's a Hollywood guy. right? Yeah, Hollywood guy. But he talks about how, basically, he does these things where, like, Basically, once a month, he goes and tries to talk with interesting people to like just get a new sense of perspective in the world and what's going on and how it is about and so
0: on and so forth. Right? Okay. Right. Now I see what because you were like, yeah, for what you do, you're going to love this. Yeah. And so
1: he talks about like getting ready and like mentally, you know, like just like how it's shaped his world and actually dive into projects because of it. This sounds great. But also how like when he went to go meet some people he wasn't ready. And so like the whole thing about when you go and interview and like talk to people, like know what you're getting yourself into as far as like when you're talking to people and what you're about. Right. Yeah. Because you want to ask poignant questions because otherwise like I think the hardest thing nowadays is having people have an understanding of some of time. Yeah. Right. Agreed. great time is finite. You know, like it's not like money. You can't buy a thing of that. So when people are giving you their time, use it wisely.
0: Well, it's that respect thing that we talked about earlier. It's like you're paying paying the respect.
1: Because they can't get that time back. That's time that they donated from their lives and there to go and engage with you on a level of that. So like, be ready and prepared to go and think of that and think of that as an exchange of time and exchange of actually like energy and process because that's what it is.
0: Well, and it's a privilege. I mean, this conversation coming and hanging out. I mean, here we are, you know, like we're in, it's raining in LA, you (laughs) know, for me, I'm going to, Leave this and be like, what a great experience. And like, you know, it's it's yeah, you can't you can't take these things for granted for sure.
1: No, and I and I just think even in life and whatever you're doing, run towards the things that scare you. Like run towards those things because everyone's like, Oh, I'll just take care of that the next day. And like the next day might happen. Like, I mean, like, that's not to be morbid, but the reason I've learned this lesson is like my sister was killed by a drunk driver. And in that thing of that space, right? I thought my sister was going to live forever. I thought I was going to grow old, like, there, or she was going to have kids. I'll have kids. We'll play together. Like, think of that. We'll, like, do family trips and that. And, like, all of that got taken away. Yeah. And so, like, that. And, like, when you look at that in space, because literally things can happen in an instant, right? So, value the time that you have, value the time you have with people, cherish the time that you have to actually make things. If you actually want to go do that thing, go do it. Yeah. Like, I mean, no one, of,
0: one of the things I've been doing this year is, try to catch up with old friends mm-hmm. i mean one of the things i'm doing while i'm in town is seeing old friends i had dinner with an old friend last night i've not seen for 10 years and, awesome. it was, and it was absolutely great you know like and i was a bit i was a bit nervous you know i was a bit like i was a bit like oh how's this gonna be and it was it was just brilliant you know it was like we saw each other yesterday and it was yeah and now i'm gonna call my sister okay. <laughs> there you go man yeah but stan that was really great thank you so much for doing yeah, it no problem i'm
1: glad to have it and like honestly like i mean just your coverage of winter sports and like that and like and it's just like it's really I've admired the way that you've gone about journalism from the space of like that and really trying to tell the stories and tell untold stories and dig a little deeper rather than just like the whole surface level there right? because there are so many people in this interesting industry that have great stories right and they're just like stories i'm been told like like ray one right yeah you know and just people who really have done a lot that just like unsung heroes or just like maybe just like pivotal shifts here and there right yeah yeah and so those people deserve their respect and the flowers too and the sport and like that and i think that's kind of like what i am trying to do with kind of just like helping to advise and and talk about stuff within in the dei space and just kind of like my career because like I don't know, I just hope to inspire more people to kind of like that and and, and to be individual. Like be individuals, it's okay to be yourself like that. You don't have to like, this some sort of shift of what people think is cool or that. Like you're cool, you can do your own thing, walk out there, wave that freak flag.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant, man. Thanks. So there you go. That was me and Stan Evans and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, you know what I'm going to say now. Why don't you leave a comment on the Substack page that accompanies this episode? And while you're there, why don't you sign up for free? And and maybe even sign up as a paid subscriber to help support my work and um, take advantage of some of the benefits that are coming in for paid subscribers like um, prizes for open threads, tickets to special shows, special paid subscription only um, episodes like the forthcoming one with Chris Burkard. if I get my shit together to work out how to record that one. Anyway, good one that with Stan, right? I had a feeling that would unfold in the way it did. Because the week before, Stan sent me a Google Doc with some of the themes he wanted to explore. Now, firstly, no one's ever done that as a guest. So I was pretty hyped because, believe me, that makes my job a lot easier. Uh, and secondly, the doc had headings such as Black Art to Educate White Audiences, Association of Culture Versus, Establishing Foundations for Diversity to Thrive, and so on. Now, obviously, i followed... Stan's work and the theme explores so I was expecting that this is what we were going to talk about it but I thought that conversation was great as I said illuminating thought-provoking challenging and just a super enjoyable and erudite conversation with a charming intelligent and lovely man so thanks Stan enjoyed my whole time with Stan to be honest Um, after we turned the tape off we ended up chatting for a good hour then we went for lunch chatted away for a good couple more hours and we had a right good gossip And he said something really funny, which at the time I didn't really know how to take. He said, you know what? This is over fish tacos in a pint in a place down the road. I decided to do this interview with you after watching you on comms on Natural Selection last year because at times you looked as though you were almost in pain. (laughs) Obviously, I was a little taken aback by this. Um, Firstly, because if you're on live TV, as I was at the time, you don't really want to look like you're in pain, not the greatest look. Um, although that might explain why I didn't get invited back to commentate this year and why big Edley Lee cuckooed his way onto the comms team as the only Brit instead. Only joking, Eddie, not that you listen anyway. Um, so I was like to Stan, is that a compliment? And he said, uh, well, yeah, because um, what I mean is you've got integrity and you don't go along with things for the sake of it. So on reflection, I decided to take that as a compliment of the highest order. Um, One of the life skills that I've tried to cultivate recently is how to take a compliment. Used to be fucking terrible at it. People generally are. But it's a good thing. People are nice to you. It's a good thing to just take it with grace. So I took it with grace. And I also took it as a welcome reminder that you never know who's watching or listening. And I was reminded of that later that evening with Jamie Brissick, name drop alert. Because after um, I did this with Stan, I went home, had a shower, and I jumped in at Uber. And um, went up and met Jamie in Malibu for the evening. Now, I posted about this on Instagram and loads of people were like, oh my God, brilliant, is this going to be a podcast conversation? I did think about taking the podcast gear, but in the end, I was a bit like, you know what, I've not seen Jamie in three years and it would just be really nice to have a chat and to not worry about recording it which is what we did and it was brilliant and during that conversation jamie outed himself much to my surprise as an avid reader of my weekly 10 things emails and urged me to keep banging him out every week because you keep turning me on to things to so many new things i can hardly keep up i think he said which i took as another extremely um high compliment so thank you jamie and thank you stan for that um yeah, I mean it's funny because at the end of the last episode with uh, with Alex Weller, I mentioned that Type Two is up for discussion with Patagonia right now, and the likely result is that it will be parked. And I'm wondering, you know, whether I keep it going, whether I try and find another partner, like what i do about that. And so I asked people to let me know on Substack what they thought about that, and I got a really interesting comment from a listener and a reader called Ben, who said, "Hi Matt, it would be a shame." to lose type 2 without a replacement i have found the activists both inspiring and a source of new thinking nick hayes and lewis arnold chris nelson have provoked arguably the largest reactions recently this is the interesting bit there are clearly a lot of your audience that get a lot from that get a great deal from interviews and interaction with those in the industry but i suspect there are also listeners that side with environmental activism and practitioners of going sideways most of us go sideways without consciously giving a thought to branding. you know which is interesting to which I replied interesting that distinction you draw because I just see them as stories per se and I kind of do I just these days I am just like is that an interesting story do I find that interesting yes enough you're in um sure there sometimes can be a little bit more to it than that but I'm at the stage where I'm just sort of trusting my editorial judgment really um but I do take the point It is a tricky thing to judge. For every Ben who loves those ones, there are listeners who are praying for the day I'll get Jamie Thomas on again. (laughs) Sorry, everyone. Um, And like I say, I wasn't really joking at the beginning when I said if I'm still with you because I reckon there would have been quite a few members of the Looking Sideways constituency that as soon as they heard me talking about hidden histories and orthodoxies and, you know, white people having more access to the outdoors than black and brown people that hit the stop button pretty quickly um because like i say people just don't some people don't like even thinking about it um don't like being challenged in any way i mean i was posting about i mean i've probably talked about this before but i'm going to say again because it still sort of staggers me really like when the queen died i posted some stuff on instagram which i just thought was like the most innocuous stuff ever i was basically like wow everyone's lost their shit over this and um got some really annoyed messages of people that were like, right, I'm unfollowing you, I'm never listening to your podcast again. How dare you? And I was I said to one of them, like, what what is the problem? It's just it's it's a joke. Like, what is the problem? And he was like, I like all um alternative thoughts, but this is j- just not this. And I was a bit like, fucking hell mate, okay. <laughs> I don't I'm probably not for you then, to be honest. Um but you know every now and again it's good to throw an episode like this in which I imagine some people will find challenging um I got some good advice off off my sister about this a few years back when I was getting particularly caned for having for doing an episode about uh, the terrier stuff and I was just getting a lot of shit really which I found a, a bit a bit a bit much at the time and my sister was like, "Well you gotta give everyone a break every now and again aren't you from harping on um which I thought was a good point um all right that's it I've been going on for a little bit here hope you enjoyed it thank you Stan I'll be back next week with a new one probably the Chris Burkhardt chat I'm doing in London on the day this is being released Friday the 10th of March 2023 I'm going to try and work out how to record that not something I'm finding that easy to be honest um I did one with Alex Williams in Devon last month which is brilliant thought it recorded hadn't recorded gutted about that um So I'm going to try and record the Chris Burkhardt chat and release it next week. If I do, that'll be for paid subscribers only. Told you they had some perks, um, so keep them peeled for that. All right, nice one.